Hello, and welcome back to Refocus with the ARA. My name is BJ Matthews, and today's episode is a special one. It's a realtor resource episode with Dale Carlton, all about legal issues in real estate. So let's dive in and see what Dale has to say about it. Found sage of information, and it doesn't mean we have to be giving them advice when we're giving that that information. You can give them information without being an advisor. You can be a professional saying, "Yes, you know what? If you did that, it might cause some legal issues." I remember um, when in pre-license we talked about this, and here's might issue. And so talk to your attorney about that before making that decision. And again, you're not being an attorney and doing that. You're just providing information um, and telling them, yeah, there might be an issue there. So um, just two or three things. Um, Because we did multiple offers last week or a week before last or the end of February, whenever it was, um, seems like it was the end of an ice storm or something like that. And um, after that, I, I got a lot of calls and a lot of comments. And the singular one that came up the most um, having to do with multiple offers is um, <clears throat> concerning um, a multiple offer scenario when the brokerage company that has the listing also has buyers. And so, first of all, let me be very clear, neither myself nor ARA are telling you how to do your business as a real estate brokerage company and real estate agents. You should always talk with your brokerage company about um, how they want to handle their business. And um, from the aspect of of the advice they get from their attorneys and their own interpretation of rules and regulations. Um, However, I do want to address this issue and let me just lay out a scenario. Um, the scenario is, is a brokerage company has a listing. We'll just make it a $200,000 listing just so I have something to talk about. And they begin to receive offers on that $200,000 listing. And let's just say they have five offers in. And two of those offers are from agents within the brokerage company that has the listing. And so I immediately want to pause and say to you, there is there is an obvious conflict here and there is no way out of that conflict. Now, I'm not telling you not to do this. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm telling you there is a conflict. And the conflict is, is how can you, if you have multiple buyers within the brokerage company in a dual agency scenario, and you have the listing of the the um, of the property, how can you um, properly represent those parties, especially those buyers, and especially when there's other offers coming in? And then all of a sudden, there's a lot of questions at stake here because remember, the brokerage company, not the agent, represents that party. So even though you may have three different agents, an agent that listed the property, an agent that represented one buyer and an agent that represented the other buyer, it may look like there's separation, but there's technically from a legal aspect, not separation because that brokerage company represents all three. And now the now the issue becomes one is proper disclosure that makes sure that all of them are aware of that and you've documented that they all are aware of it and what information you protect and what information you provide. And let me just say this to you, and this is going to be my comment on this. This has an a, a visible and obvious conflict to it. You need to have written disclosures in that scenario before doing any representation like that. And I would highly, highly advise getting an attorney involved in those scenarios. And I mean, really, it would be best if you could get those agents that um, are representing buyers in that to involve an attorney in the writing of the offer for them. Um, You know, and and just recently I was talking to um, one of the agents and, um, and by the way, there were several of them. So if this sounds like you, it's, it probably isn't you specifically, I'm mixing up the ones that all called me, but, and they said, well, you know, the thing is, is what we're going to do is we're going to seal all the offers so that everybody knows they're protected and we're not going to open them till a given time period. And that's what the seller agreed to. And, and I was like, well, that's great. But the brokerage company, whether or not one agent tells another agent what's in that sealed offer or not, 
technically the brokerage company has privilege to all of that information. So it's not really sealed in the scenario where there's multiple parties within that same brokerage company. And this same scenario occurs on um, in the outside scenario of this. Let me give you the, the same exact issue from another perspective. One brokerage company has the listing and another brokerage company has multiple buyers writing offers for that listing of another brokerage company. Now, all of a sudden, you have the same conflict scenario where you have different agents all competing to get an acceptance of a listing that's not represented. So it looks like it's not dual agency, which it's not because you don't have the listing and the buyer, but there is a dual agency scenario going on. And that is that you have multiple buyers competing for the same property represented by the same brokerage company. And again, if you get into this scenario, I highly advise that you have an attorney um, guiding you with disclosures and information and guidance on, on how to build some kind of protective uh, wall, at least the appearance of the protection of those clients and the and the information that they provide, because this this can and will um, um, cause problems in the event somebody gets mad or frustrated that they didn't get that property and they feel like they weren't represented as well as the other party was, and and I know you all can imagine infinite amount of stories. And I don't want to go down that any further than that. I just want to point out there is issues when it comes to um, uh, multiple offers, when a singular company is representing more than one of those parties. And, and even in, even in a scenario where it's not multiple offers, there's obvious conflict and dual agency we know about. We just amplify that so much more when you have a, a multiple offer scenario. And what do you do with the information you have concerning those offers and who gets to know what that information is? And um, does, does your buyer have the right to know what the other offers are? so that they can um, make sure theirs is better since you represent um, that buyer. And I mean, there's just so many little questions that that buyer is going to have um, if it ever became a, a real legal issue. But I know that that just resurrected lots of uh, additional questions. But uh, the easy way out of this one is when you get into a conflict is have somebody you know that's an attorney that you call up and say, hey, we got some conflict issues here and I need somebody to be watching our back and make sure we're disclosing and doing this properly and get them involved um, so that you can protect yourself along the way. Um, the next big issue is obviously this, the COVID-19 issues that um, we're all dealing with that um, hopefully are on a downswing, but not completely. We understand there are people still dying. There are people still um, in the hospital, but we are seeing a downward trend. Um, but the big question is, is what about lawsuits regarding COVID? And we are seeing the start of landlord-tenant lawsuits regarding COVID issues, um, specifically in multi-tenant buildings where there's a common hallway space between um, different tenants that they have to access or how they have to run into each other and what protections being provided to them. Um, and then for those of us that uh, um, have clients that we've been showing property to, do we have any liability to them as far as um, uh, them getting COVID-19 while we're with them or um, or while they're out, or maybe it's a seller and you've got buyers coming through their properties and what liability might sit there as a result of that, or an office liability where you have an office and what about workspace areas um, and how do you protect? And first of all, let me tell you that a, a, lawsuit, a lawsuit on COVID may be difficult to win because it's really hard to, to trace the cause and damage because it's really hard to say it occurred because of this. However, do understand that they're doing a lot of uh, um, uh, DNA tracking of this virus because they're looking at the different strands 
and they are in some ways able to recognize what strand and where it came from, and they are following paths, um, which will provide a lot of evidence for these lawsuits. I can tell you right now there's about 1,500 workspace lawsuits across the U.S. that have already been filed, and those are people that have filed it against the, the owners of companies saying it is not a safe condition or I got COVID or I was exposed to and had some damage as a result of it. Now, right now, there are some states that have already put in some immunity laws. I think Georgia, Kansas, Mississippi, Ohio, Utah, um, our neighboring Oklahoma did, Louisiana, um, I think North Carolina, Tennessee, um, uh, Michigan, Iowa, the, uh, not Arkansas as of the last I checked, um, had any kind of immunity regulations. Um, <clears throat> but th- there, there has been hope that w- there would be some kind of federal immunity come in. For these types of issues, the problem is, is that we haven't seen it as of yet, and the door's still open for these scenarios. So, what can you do? First of all, follow CDC guidelines um, in in showing that you're doing what is being advised to try to protect um, against the transfer um, of this particular virus, and that includes in showing properties. Um, I would advise not putting somebody in your vehicle. If they are in your vehicle, everybody has to be masked in your vehicle. Um, But meeting them at properties, maintaining the six-foot distance, um, wiping down surfaces, all the things you all know and you've been advised um, throughout the last year, make sure you have a policy of doing that to protect yourself in case there is some kind of liability that's brought up at a later point in time. I, again, think they're going to be hard lawsuits to win, but the reality is, is most lawsuits are settled. And as a result of them being settled, the question is going to become is how much are you willing to pay to settle these particular issues, not how much it's going to cost me to defend this particular issue and when. And many people will end up paying out. And and just to, to uh, compare it to something that's not a true comparison, but to compare it to something is, is food poisoning. Um, food poisoning is one of those scenarios that it's sometimes difficult to prove where you receive the food poisoning. But I will tell you, in general, if a person gets an attorney and files a lawsuit on food poisoning against a um, eating establishment, they typically settle it. And that settlement, you know, ranges, we see settlement ranges from three to $5,000 on food poisoning just to make it go away and not have to defend it. And so that could, it's just something to know to be aware of and try to make sure you're doing what you can along the way. And we expect, or at least hope that there'll be some kind of immunity to those that are following guidelines that are um, being, um, 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 Proposed, And that's why we say follow the CDC guidelines, because any immunity that may be for you to protect you will probably require that you are following those particular guidelines. Even if you're a non-mask wearer, meaning you don't think it causes any protection, you if you want immunity, if it is provided, you're going to have to do that which the CD rec- CDC recommends. So you, you may have to go against what you feel in order to get this legal protection. And like I said, it's uh, it, you may not like it, but the reality is, is that's what is advised in most cases. Um, also, during the past year, um, during COVID, we saw racial tensions reach a new high. And hopefully it resulted in some new sensitivity um, and some awareness that was not there amongst everybody. Um, but as a result of that, we've also seen some increased fair housing lawsuits. Um, one is, um, uh, and you may or may not have heard about it, but the, um, the National Fair Housing Authority um, uh, association uh, filed a lawsuit against Redfin. I don't know if anybody on here works with Redfin, but uh, the lawsuit with uh, against Redfin was uh, basically that Redfin was not, uh, they had a minimum price range on their listings. And I'm, I'm going to make this relevant to you all here too, not just to Redfin, so pay, stay with me. So they had a minimal listing 
um, that they would take. And I forgot what it was. Maybe it was 125,000 or something like that, that they would allow. <clears throat> so um, NFHA filed a lawsuit said, this is redlining, it's discrimination. And as a result of you limiting that value, you are stopping um, some people um, across um, America and metropolitan areas from being able to use your service. And it is largely a racial issue. And they were showing how the break is a racial line issue on this price range. And now to Redfin's um, um, defense, and this is a defense of them, but this is a defense of their after actions. Um, Redfin's um, uh, CEO immediately came to the uh, um, plate and said, listen, we want to understand what this issue is and try to make this right. So they are trying to work through this, but it's still an active lawsuit as of February. Now, here's where it's relevant to you all. I received a call um, the other day for a referral from a company and they wanted to purchase uh, like a $70,000 house in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and they wanted to purchase for the next two weeks. Well, just so you know, there's not a single listing under $125,000 in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the likelihood of me finding them one um, is pretty slim. And the fact that I having listings and working those listings and my time being taken up with the 30 or 40 offers every time we put a listing on the market, um, I knew I wouldn't be able to give attention to this particular buyer. However, in the back of my mind, I was remembering this Redfin lawsuit. If I start saying, um, it, I don't do anything below this price range, am I not unintentionally, but directly um, potentially being a, a violation of fair housing issues, knowing this lawsuit was out there. And so what I decided to do was to be very clear with my words. You've heard me say this a lot. Words matter. And so I was very clear with my words. I told the person exactly what I felt. There was no listings in that price range. I did not expect any listings to come up, but they could. And the fact that I work more with listings than buyers, I feel like I would not be able to give enough attention and the right service to this person to locate that price range if it were to come available. And my fear of not being able to find it and my fear of not noticing it when it hit the market results in me um, wanting to deny working with this particular client. And that's what I did. But my point to you is this, is sometimes, and realize a fair housing issues occur without intent. You realize you're in violation of fair housing without intent. So your actions matter even without intent. And what I want to make sure that we do is that we're careful that what we're doing is not causing issues, even if it was unintentional. So be very sensitive and make sure you communicate correctly and what you're doing and your words actually matter. The other um, uh, issue with fair housing has been accessibility issues. And if you don't know what that is, um, you can Google it when we get through. But accessibility issues with websites um, have come along over the last few years. You've probably heard me mention it. There's been a lot of lawsuits. And it's basically, does your website that you're using give accessibility for those that are either um, impaired from hearing or impaired from sight if they need to be able to have the, um, the pages read to them by a reader or if, um, if for some reason they um, um, need some service with your website, is it available? And here's the thing with that. Um, the good news is um, uh, Arkansas did pass some laws to protect us on this scenario, but it basically is what the law says. The law says, hey, if in fact um, somebody notifies you that you have an accessibility issue with your website, you have X amount of days, and I forgot what it was, 30 or 60 or 90 days to rectify that issue before you're liable to damages for that person. So if you get notified, don't ignore that notification that you have accessibility issues with your website. You have a time period to rectify those issues or you could be liable. And the lawsuits that we were seeing in Florida and along the East Coast were multi-million dollar lawsuits. They were big, big lawsuits. And it was simply because there was videos on websites that did not have um, words being scrolled under it where somebody could read if they could not hear um, and or the reader saw 
software that the person was using would not work on that website. And in your website company, whoever you host with should be able to solve those things for you because it's attention. I mean, everybody's paying attention to this across the U.S. now. Just make sure that whoever hosts your website, whoever you use, ask them about accessibility in your website to make sure it's correct. And if you get um, questioned about it, take action very quickly. Go to your um, uh, whoever does your website and find out what you need to do to get that um, corrected. Because it's not that hard. The, the tools are out there to do it now. Um, next issue um, I ran into personally myself, so I'm going to um, bring it up to you all, is um, damage to properties when you have them listed or theft of property of homes that you have listed. And and how do you protect yourself? And let me just make up a scenario. Um, it's hard to make up a scenario when I got one that was real that happened to me. But let's just say you had a listing, other people were showing it, and damage occurred to that property. Who is liable? And, and how do you prove who did it? And let's just, I'll make up this. Let's say there was a, a, a vase or a vase that was collectible and antique and worth something from the Ming dynasty or something. And it gets knocked over during a showing. You don't know about it. Um, your seller calls you after a showing and says, hey, somebody broke my vase while uh, they were here showing the property. And, and of course, your first question is, oh, no. I mean, I wonder how that happened. They didn't call me. Um, but also is how do you know that person did it? What if there's also a cat in that house? And is there a chance that cat could have bumped it and knocked it over? And how do you prove that scenario? And, and I will tell you, I got into a scenario where there was damage that occurred to a house um, during listings. Um, it was significant damage that occurred. None of the agents um, that had showed claimed um, to have caused any of that damage. And luckily, I had a general liability policy. I mean, it was just a general $400 general liability policy for Carlton Realty. <clears throat> I contacted them thinking there's no way they're going to cover me on this. And they did. They covered it. Um, they paid off on all of it. They laughed about it because they said it's the first time this scenario had ever occurred when I told them what had all happened. And they, they just said, that we've called every insurance company we can. We cannot find a circumstance where this has ever happened before. However, we're going to pay off on this. And we just want to make sure that you know that you're covered and we're having them sign off. Um, so now I ended up losing the listing because the person was mad at me. I, I wasn't even there, but, but as you know, as bad things happen, um, people get upset at somebody and we often are the targets, um, specifically if we're the listing agent or representing somebody. So I wanted to make sure that you are aware that a general liability policy may be of value to protect you on those things you haven't thought about. And the general liability policies are not that expensive. Um, and something to consider, especially from a brokerage standpoint, if you're a broker owner, um, which that leads me to the next thing that everybody always asks me, well, did they have any video surveillance? <laughs> well, so let's talk about video surveillance for just a moment. Um, <clears throat> you know that there are laws in our state about recording people, um, and there are laws in our states about having video footage um, of people. And so the questions that, that get brought up all the time is, well, what about, um, you know, my seller? What if they listen in while buyers are there? Um, and, you know, what, what, do, what do I do as an agent if I'm showing a house and I don't know if there's any kind of surveillance? Um, I, I, uh, I was going to read you all this because I just got it yesterday. Um, I hesitate to tell you who it was from, but I'm going to. Uh, but it came from, uh, well, I'll just tell you, it's one of, it was the CEO of one of the um, uh, largest uh, um, designations that we have um, in real estate. And she sent me this uh, little text. Um, and here's what it said. It says, uh, um, my wife asked me why I spoke so softly in the house. And I said I was afraid that Mark Zuckerberg was listening. She laughed. I laughed. Alexa laughed and Siri laughed. <laughs> now, I hope you understand what that's saying is. <laughs> and by the way, I just said just now I just said, Alexa, and guess what happened? 
Alexa turned blue and is now listening to me um, as I'm talking and trying to figure out what it is that I've, I'm wanting. My point being is, is that there are things being heard and listened to all the time. And sometimes it's uh, unintentionally and incidentally. I am a big fan of wise cameras, W-Y-Z-E. And at my house, they surround my house. If you come upon my house, I get motion sensor notice and a short video of anybody coming upon my house, whether it be a squirrel, a muskrat, a deer, or a human being. I know they're coming up on my house and I'm getting a short video of it. Um, I had to do a little research about the laws. This is not my area of expertise, but I will tell you that as I looked everything up, I found out that um, people have a right to privacy in Arkansas and a right to not be recorded in a place where they would expect not to be recorded. And so if it's a, um, a private place, somewhere of privacy, they have the right to expect to have privacy and not be recorded. That would be bathrooms and hotel rooms, their own personal home, their own personal yards. For instance, if I had my video cameras focused so that it would look at my neighbor's backyard, that would be a violation because I should not be recording or uh, viewing my neighbor's yard. I have to have them focused in on my yard only. Um, so, and then as far as, um, uh, Audio recordings, Arkansas's law basically says that one party has to be a part of or there has to be consent to record. So if if I'm recording while I'm there, then I can be the consenting person because I'm there and present. So if two people are on a phone conversation, if one of them wants to record it and not tell the other one, that's fine because there's one party there. But an outside third party can't record that conversation without consent of, of some of them. So this goes into our scenario with these, with houses. Um, my wise video camera cost me all of $19. You realize it's almost disposable. Um, and it's so cheap and everybody can get them now. They can set them on top of bookcases. They can put them behind speakers. They, I mean, there's so many ways and they make them where they're in light bulbs. They make them so that there's ways you will never know. But we've got to be telling our clients, specifically our listing people first, that, hey, if you have surveillance, really, you should turn it off um, um, while properties are being shown. Or if you're not going to turn it off, I highly advise you to talk to an attorney about what you can and cannot do. You hear what I just said? I advise you to turn it off. If you're not, talk to your attorney about what you can and cannot do. And I think this has got to be very carefully handled um, because um, here's, here's our liability again. We tell them to turn it off and now all of a sudden they can't record and something gets stolen. And now they accuse us of telling them to turn off their video recorder and they can't go back and see who stole it. Um, so there's, I mean, we have some liability here. So go back and make sure you got that general liability policy before you say this. But but you've got to have this conversation with them. And then you've got to have the conversation with your buyers, too, before you go into those houses. And actually, before you even get out of your vehicles, um, you've, you've got to talk to them about the fact that what they say and what they do may be um, seen, heard, or recorded. And they may say, well, that's not right. They can't do that. So I know they're not supposed to. However, I just want you to know it could happen. Um, and and I know um, they're, they're, they are an invitee into your home. And a lot of attorneys will tell you that if if what you need to do is, is disclose that this, this area is being recorded, you will be recorded, you have it in obvious um, areas where they have to see that, and then you're protected. You make sure an attorney tells you that that's okay. You hear what I'm saying? Don't do it because somebody else is doing it and says that's fine. You have an attorney give that advice um, and um, make sure that you're uh, um, 
not the one giving them advice concerning what they can and cannot do, because this is this is one of those hot areas where there's going to be a, a, a lot of new law and it's the law is going to be established as we have lawsuits. In other words, as people start suing each other over it, um, that's when we start establishing the laws and what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. And we we learn the hard way and, and real estate agents often become the examples of things like this because we're in the middle of it. And I tell my buyers all the time, I say, look, just want you to know before we go in here, there is a chance somebody could be listening to what we're saying in here. So if you really like this house, here's what I want you to say. I want you to say, you know, we kind of like this one. And, you know, we might just make them an offer. If they take our offer, then, you know, we'll go ahead and buy this one. Otherwise, let's buy that other one instead. Now, you heard what I just said. I just told my buyers exactly what to say so that if somebody's listening, they would be encouraged to take our offer. Now, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if that's right ethically to do that, to be setting them up. But if they're not supposed to be listening to me, I don't feel so bad about it. Now, if they had a big um, um, placard on the front door that says, hey, this home is being recorded um, 24 hours a day for safety reasons. And and we entered it or it says um, you are entering this home um, at um, with that knowledge, if you do not want to be recorded, do not enter this home. This is not a public place. You're an invitee of this person being in this home. Therefore, you're going to be recorded while you're in there. Now, I'm giving language that some attorney might give you to try to protect somebody if they are recording all the time. If, if they make that kind of disclosure and you walk in, then you've got to be expecting that you're going to be recorded, and they will. And like... Um, um, so many of you are posting right now. So what about our ring doorbells and wise doorbells and doormats and all the different things that are out there? There is legal issues with those. Yes, um, there is. There's legal issues out there. If you have your ring doorbell set to record um, at its widest um, um you know, settings. And every time the neighbor comes home and walks up to their front door, you're recording them. The question becomes, is that a place where they have a right to privacy? And most most people would say, no, I mean, that's from a public street. You can see them. It's really more about the backyards and places where they have an expectation of having some set of privacy. But I think some people would have uh, would be upset if they knew they were being recorded in their front yard every time they walk to their door. And I, I see regulations coming on this. And it usually, like I said, comes because of lawsuits. Um, so be careful with that. Advise your buyers, advise your sellers. Um, and um, and then the last little thing is make sure you are dealing with passwords for any kind of smart home um, devices you know, that they're getting reset to manufacturer standards. If you buy, if you're representing a buyer that's buying a home, that's a smart home that has um, different kinds of electronic devices, make sure that your clients know that this needs to be reset to um, factory standards. We have, we've already had two scenarios that I'm aware of in this area where what the people did was, is they, they, they had a smart device and they just shared access to that device with the new owner and said they were going to delete their access. But how do you know that they ever deleted their access? And I mean, that's what I told my dad and you all heard me um, tell the joke about I play with my dad's heating and cooling all the time because he worked for Entergy Arkansas Power and Light and he kept our in the in the cold winters he kept our house at 60 degrees and in the warm summers he kept our house at 84 degrees because he was saving money on those utility bills so now I refuse to allow him to save any money when when he has his house set at 60 I bump it up to 72 74 and then I, he'll bump it back down I'll bump it back up and then he'll call me and he'll say Dale so something's wrong with this thing it keeps going back to 72 and I'll, I'll say well I'll check on it for you and then I'll turn it back down I'll wait a little while and then I'll do it again to him just because I want to have a chance to get back at my dad. Uh, and he knows I, I tell this story and he knows that I do that to him now, but he still hasn't figured out how to reset it to manufacturer settings. So I still have access because I shared access with him to his device. 
I have to release and cancel my activity before it occurs. So make a note that any home that has HVAC systems, front door automatic locks, ring doorbells, anything's that any of those smart devices that you've got to get them reset to manufacturer settings, and the current owner has to release um, their account um, before you can even use it. Most of them, if they don't release their account, the other person can't take control of it anyway. They just have shared control. <laughs> Um, looking at our time, I've got a list of so many things. Let's, uh, one other thing that's, I had three calls in the past month about was the, the, um, I wanted to say stealing. Let me say the borrowing of photos of a one real estate company by another real estate company in the listing of a home. In other words, they were going to list a house and they saw the previous listing and the photos were really nice. So they just downloaded them off the MLS and used those same exact photos. Um, first of all, I want to make sure you understand that photos are under copyright. And there's two issues here. One is, is um, the the agent and brokerage company that produced those probably have rights to them and potentially the photographer has rights to them. And it depends on what the photographer did. If the photographer licensed them for the use of selling that home, then they, the rights revert back to the photographer after the sale of that home. The photographer still controls the rights to those photos. So you could be in copyright infringement and get a nice little lawsuit um, to have to pay for those photos a second time. Um, some of you would say, I'd be happy to pay for them. That's what I want to do. <laughs> Just, um, but the problem is, is what they charge you when you infringe is much higher than what they charge you to go take them. Uh, the last lawsuit I dealt with on this was $2,000 to settle it for one photo. Um, and they refused to sell it for less than that. It was going to cost way over 2000 to go to court over it. And they were going to lose um, because they stole the photo. Um, they had no proof they had any license right. And then, again, back past the photographer to the uh, its work product, um, if the brokerage company or the agent took that picture themselves or if they paid for it and, and obtained all the rights of those photos, it is still copyright infringement for you to take photos from another brokerage company. Do not take photos from their brokerage company. And listen, I understand that sometimes your company, the I mean, excuse me, that your seller is going to say, hey, can you get those photos from our last listing agent? And what you say to them is, I will be happy to ask if they won't give them to me, you're happy to call them yourself and see if they would give them to you. I will um, um, call them and see what happens and call them and say, hey, my, I'm listing this property. You had some great photos. The owner asked if we could, if there's any chance we could get a copy of those photos. So um, I say that to say to you, um, be sensitive. And by the way, brokerage, you don't have to release those photos if you don't want to. Now, be sensitive here. If you charged your client to take those photos and they paid for them, there may be some implied rights to that owner to own those photos also. So don't make sure that if you don't have a written agreement and they you charge them for it and they paid, they may have a, a copyright themselves, at least a right to use them. So be careful on that scenario. Ricardo, I see your hand up. I'll go ahead and uh, ask you to unmute if you want to ask a question real quick, just because it's a good stopping point right there. And just have a couple more things. Okay. Can you hear me? Sure can. Okay, now what if it's like a just sold or just listed post? Well, not just listed, just sold postcard, and you're you know you're usually using a, a picture that the other brokerage has put on the website. So what if you use that picture to put on one of your just sold postcards? You see my head? Yeah, I'm shaking my head no, and the reason I'm saying my head no is you got to get permission to use somebody else's photo. Period especially in advertising. As a matter of fact, when you're sending out that postcard, you get, you're giving somebody um, printed evidence now. So if you're going to use it, just call that other agent or, and say, hey, do you have the rights to this photo? Is it okay if I use it to send out a, a just sold um, postcard? If they say no, then drive by there with your phone 
and go snap and take yourself a photo and stick that photo in there instead. Um, the, the amazing thing is I taught photography for many, many years. Some of you have been in my photography classes. I, I have a photography degree. Um, and um, I don't teach photography anymore because the phones have gotten so good at photography. I don't recommend you use phones to take your um, pictures of your listings, but for something simple like sending out a just po a just sold postcard, um, you know, it's just so easy to go by and get a picture um, and permission from that owner to do that. Uh, there's even, um, well, I won't go into that, but but. But realize, and, and social media, same issue. Still that photo off social media. Now, if you're getting the image from a feed, an IDX feed, and you're posting it through that feed, such as um, uh, Realtor.com, and you're posting the Realtor.com feed, you're going to be fine. But sometimes people take screenshots of the realtor.com feed and then post that into their social media, that is a violation because you're not giving the feed access. So that's a, again, a stealing of the photo. Now, most people don't care. Most, most of them uh, um, aren't worried about somebody else posting pictures of their listings or stuff out there because they want them. And that's part of IDX. But realize that you have to do it through the proper channels. If you violate those proper channels, you could be um, uh, at least opening the door for some liability along the way. Um, <laughs> We've had um, a couple of big issues recently with wild wire transfers. Um, let me make the statement first. The first is the statement is um, do not provide wiring instructions to your clients. Let me say it one more time. Do not provide wiring instructions to your clients. If they need wiring instructions from the title company, they must get it from the title company. Yeah. Second of all, um, it happened to me myself um, with one of my clients where um, we were getting ready for closing. There was going to be probably about six hundred thousand dollars of cash um, coming. Um, my client received an email. That email came from um, what appeared to be the title company. It says um, uh, uh, here is. Uh, um, Oh, this guy, he was buying. So there was 600000 he was having to transfer in. And uh, he said, here's the wiring instructions for um, the transfer of your 600000 um, Please have it here no later than end of day um, um, tomorrow. Luckily, my client called the dial cut and he says, hey, I just want to make sure this is real. It looked just a little bit funny to me. And they said, what's real? And he says, well, I just got wiring instructions. And um, I was about to send the wire, but I wanted to make sure this was right. And they said, we haven't sent wiring instructions. And somebody had um, had enough information from following. They gained access to some email, somebody's that they knew the client. They knew the property. They knew the amount and were able to send a spoof email to look like they were the title company and give a fake wiring number. And by the way, I will tell you, those fake wiring numbers go to a bank and that money will never be seen again. It is gone so fast you can't even turn around. And and what we had a few lawsuits that occurred over the last few years um, regarding um, wire transfers that were illegally done um, and what happens. And here's what they determined in most of them is if and that we had some that were directly against real estate brokerage companies. And they said that if the brokerage company provided the wiring instructions and then somebody else intercepted and changed a number and had it sent to them, then the brokerage company would carry liability for that wire. So if, if, I'm using lenders title company and they say, here's the wiring instructions for such and such. I say, I'm sorry, I will not send wiring instructions. It's our policy. Please send it directly to them. And then I tell all of my clients, do not ever send a wire without calling the title company and verifying the number you're sending it to. And I'll also tell them you'll never get wiring instructions from me personally. Um, if you get them from me, they're fraudulent. 
because I'm not sending wireless instructions because I don't want to be liable um, because all it takes is somebody that has gotten into um, your security on your email and they're watching your emails and they all of a sudden see what's going through and you send this email, they can stop it and change the wiring number and then send it on and it came directly from you and your email account. And then when they send it, that money goes offshores or to some account onshore and it gets transferred again within seconds. So be aware of that um, and know that it's a, an issue. And then just because we're getting close to the end of the time, um, the last thing is Airbnb issues. Um, so um, only thing to point out to you all on Airbnb is that we are um, getting to the point now where local um, city ordinances and um, town ordinances are going to be in play on Airbnbs and whether or not they can do short-term rentals, um, how long they can do them, what are the requirements if they do do them, do they have to have a license from their city, um, homeowner um, associations, property owners associations have now entered the game and the property owners associations are starting to say, hey, you can't do it in our community and there's going to be some lawsuits over that, whether that's a, a valid restriction or not, but it's starting to happen. Um, so you got to pay attention. What, how that affects us is if you're selling to um, somebody um, as a listing company and you know they're, um, that it's being used as an Airbnb now, I would make sure that it's disclosed um, that any future buyer needs to validate um, whether it can continue to be used as an Airbnb. If you're representing a buyer, make sure and tell them that they need to validate to, you know, to their heart's content that it can be used as an Airbnb within that city, town, community, um, subdivision, because we're going to start seeing changes in that that's going to cause some problems for people purchase thinking they could and then find out they can't. Um, and they get upset, obviously, at us first along the way. Um, I'm looking real quick. I've got several things. Let me just give you something just for you all to know. Um, Realtor.org, um, which you all have access to, if you go to Realtor.org and then log in, and you can go to Real Estate Topics, and then there is a Legal tab. And then it has a little case summary and a search button. If you ever have a question about something, you can go to that area and do a search for the topic, like multiple offers or um, escalation clause. And it will pull up all the recent legal case summaries that um, uh, our attorneys um, have pulled and placed on the website. And it's good information. It's very helpful to all of you. So I wanted to make sure you knew that was there. Um, and then um, the last little thing is just make sure on your um, that you remember that our the AREC put out some um, best practices for advertisement, and that guidebook is available to you all. Um, and reference back to that, just and you can go to the AREC website, look under their booklets, and it's just uh, advertising best practices. If you remember, two years ago we had uh, advertising as a required subject, and that was used as that education towards the end of that year. the The booklet didn't come out to the end of the year, so if you took your advertising CE at the front part of the year. You you didn't get the booklet. So the booklet came out afterwards and it's very helpful. It explains a lot of things. It gives you some clarifications on things that may not have been clarified. And I wanted you to know it was there so that you can be careful what you're doing on social media. Um, and and uh, one last one, as I've had three people tell me that there's been Regulation Z um, complaints. Regulation Z, you can look it up on Google if you want. It's basically a, a requirement to disclose if you are marketing or advertising and using financial numbers in that. For instance, if you have a sign up that says, um, um, own this house for $500 a month. Well, you have to tell them how you factored $500 a month. What was the interest rate? What was the term? What was the down payment? Regulation Z says you have to disclose how you came to any financial term when you use it in marketing or advertising. Um, and uh, there, that is 
we see it with new subdivisions right now when people are in a big rush to purchase. I think builders are remembering back in the day before Regulation Z was being enforced and they're putting up, you know, own this home as little as $800 a month and they're not disclosing where those terms came from, which could be a violation. So if your name's also on that sign, marketing like that, be sure you look up Regulation Z and make sure you're following the, the rules on marketing that goes with that. Um, I'm LaDonna, I'm going to invite you back in. I'm looking through the questions real quick um, that everybody wrote. Um, we're in the last four minutes, and I wanted to invite you back in while I make sure that I didn't miss anything. Someone asked a question about fair housing. If they receive a referral from the, a referral company and they decline to accept it based on price point. Could that be a fair housing discrimination? Um, it, so, the, again, if if you're refusing it based on price point um, and you're doing that same thing all the time, then you're going to fall under that same scenario that Redfin got the lawsuit for. Um um, I can't tell you that it is a drug violation, but I can tell you it would be much better to communicate why you're not going to work with that person because you don't have available housing or the time um, to do research in that price range um, at this particular time with the market being uh, liquidated. If you know, if you have reasoning beyond that, I just don't do anything below fifty thousand. I would. I would not tell anybody that we don't represent anything below 50,000 or below 100,000 now that Redfin got sued over this. And you can, by the way, you can pull up that lawsuit if you want. Just look up uh, its uh, um, NFHA um, lawsuit against Redfin, R-E-D-F-I-N. And they basically just said we have a minimum price range and um, they're, the lawsuit's still active as of a uh, while ago when I looked up, unless they've settled it. And they'll probably settle it. Probably, we probably won't get to see the final result. Um, referral from, oh, I see that. That's what that question was. Yeah, so the, the question is, is would you be declining a solicitation from the referral company? I, I, I think you can just decline if the referral company just has a decline or accept, but most of them say, why did you decline? And so what I'm encouraging you not to do is say that we don't accept referrals under 50,000. Um, as a matter of fact, one of them that I get referrals from all the time, even though I don't request them, says um, this is out of my price range. I don't represent people in this price range. Well, I will not mark that particular one because I don't want a history of me saying that I'm um, only want to represent a certain group of people. And I know maybe socioeconomic is not, um, may not to you look like a racial issue, but I want to tell you something. Socioeconomic has been a racial issue for a long time. You look at our school systems in Arkansas and you look at across our nation, especially in the South, it's, it, there's an issue there and it's tied together. So be, be more sensitive than you, um, than you may have been or want to be even. Um, we need to want to be more sensitive in this scenario. Anything else you saw, LaDonna? Uh, no, I haven't seen anything else. Um, it, well, somebody has on here that if the if a listing agent copies your market description word for word. I mean, that's, that's work product. I mean, technically it's a copyright, but, I, you know, my question always is, is where did they get it from? Did they copy it from the last one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so very seldom do we see lawsuits on that. But listen, you all, you're better than that. You can reword it. You don't have to be so, so lazy that you're just going to copy it exactly. You can at least change up the words, paraphrase. You remember the rules in, in school. Paraphrase it. Don't uh, um, uh, regurgitate it exactly. And then avoid the issue. <laughs> <laughs> It's 10 o'clock, LaDonna, and I've got all I could in. I didn't talk about marijuana and all the fun stuff, but I think they can. Well, we might get to that another day. That <laughs> might take a whole day. That's quite good. Um, anybody else have any other questions you want to shoot out in chat? People are just saying thank you again. This was awesome. Y'all learned something you didn't know? All right. <laughs> Makes you think. 
Okay. Well, that is all we have for you guys for today. Take care, everybody. Y'all, um, be careful with those multiple offers and 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 be kind to somebody today, even when they're not kind to you. <laughs> right.